Lead to Win is brought to you by Leaderbox, a monthly reading experience curated by leaders for leaders. Learn more at leaderbox.com. Decision making may be the toughest thing leaders do. Most of the choices a leader makes involves risk. For political or military decisions, lives may hang in the balance. Even in the business or nonprofit world, we have to make critical choices that affect the welfare and livelihood of dozens or perhaps thousands of people, often using conflicting or incomplete information. How do you make a good decision, one you can implement with confidence? On July 16, 1999, two minutes after sunset, a Piper Saratoga taxied onto the runway at Essex County Airport in New Jersey. John F. Kennedy Jr., his wife and sister-in-law, were headed to a wedding that was to take place the following day on Martha's Vineyard. They never arrived. Although the 38-year-old was an experienced pilot, the summer haze and falling darkness made for difficult flying conditions. Two days later, investigators found the wreckage and pieced together what happened. According to the National Transportation Safety Board, the accident occurred because Kennedy failed to, quote, maintain control of the airplane during a descent over water at night, which was the result of spatial disorientation. Spatial disorientation is when you can't determine the position of your body relative to other objects. In other words, you can't tell which way is up. It can affect pilots, divers, and even children on merry-go-rounds. Kennedy lacked an instrument rating, meaning that he didn't have the training to maintain control of the plane by using instruments alone. He had to rely on his own sense of direction. When that failed, the plane crashed. That tragic event graphically illustrates that every leader must have solid, dependable data when making critical choices. But is that enough? Ironically, Kennedy's father, President John F. Kennedy, made a notoriously poor choice by relying too heavily on the information in front of him. Within weeks after his inauguration, Kennedy had to decide whether to go through with a plan to overthrow the communist government in Cuba by backing an invasion by Cuban expatriates. The plan had been approved a year earlier by former President Eisenhower and was heavily supported by the CIA and a number of top advisors. Kennedy looked at the facts and approved the plan. It was a fiasco. The Bay of Pigs invasion resulted in a resounding victory by the communists and the loss of 106 lives, including four Americans. Critics later pointed out that Kennedy was so convinced by the information provided to him that he failed to hear objections raised by two top advisors. Had he heeded the counsel of those key advisors, he might have avoided one of the worst military blunders of the 20th century. When you face an important decision, what's the key factor you rely on? And here's a tougher question. Is that enough? Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work, succeed at life, and lead with confidence. And in this episode, we're talking about decision making. And I'll show you three factors that leaders must consider when making an important choice. As a leader, you may be facing a tough choice right now. Overwhelmed by data and conflicting opinions, how do you decide? Based on decades of making real-life decisions in the business world, we'll show you how to avoid making a poor decision, or worse yet, no decision at all, and gain the clarity you need to move forward with confidence. Hey, before we dive into today's content, could I ask you for a favor? If you like this podcast, would you be willing to leave a brief review? 
If so, just go to michaelhyatt.com slash review it. We've made it super easy for you, and it'll help others have the same great experience you're having right now. Thanks so much. All right, before we jump in, can we get real for a second? Yep. Making decisions is really hard. It is. I mean, the truth is, if you're a leader, you're not making easy decisions anymore, right? Like, you're you're basically left with all the hardest decisions to make. And it was probably years ago when they felt easy. Now they're just hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we have to acknowledge they're, they're tough for a lot of reasons. Right. Oftentimes, we have to make a decision when we have incomplete information. Right. I mean, there's pros and cons to every choice. It's rarely black and white. Plus, we also have our own internal fears and psychology to deal with. You know, we don't want to fail other people. We don't want to make a mistake. Maybe we have a fear of failure, whatever. But as a result of that, it's tempting to procrastinate or worse, abdicate and just not make a decision. And then the decision gets made for us. Mm -hmm. And the truth is making tough calls goes with being a leader. I mean, in some ways, it's the most essential part of being a leader. That's that's what your job is. And very often, you're making a decision between two difficult and imperfect choices. And sometimes that means somebody's going to lose. And that's that makes it all the harder. That's right. And that's why in this episode, we want to talk about embracing this vital part of, of leadership, because it's not easier for any of us. Right. We may be tempted to procrastinate or abdicate or just kind of put it off, but we really have to do this and we can get better at it. And that's what we want to talk about in this episode. Right. Because there are consequences to not deciding or deciding too rashly. So what we're talking about today is how to make great decisions. We're assuming that you already have some kind of an internal compass around your vision for your organization and who you are and your values, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be easy on a day-to-day basis to figure out how to implement those things through decision-making. I mean, that's really how they get lived out in your organization is through one decision at a time, but that's harder than it looks. So that's what we're going to dig into today. And you, Dad, have three elements in making a great decision. So let's get into the first one. Okay. Element number one, information, get the facts. Now, sometimes we want to avoid the facts or we wish the facts were different. Or they're complicated to figure out, right? Right. Yeah. And so sometimes it's hard to get to the facts, but it's absolutely essential because as we were even talking about in the last episode, there are facts and then the story that builds around the facts. So we want to separate those two things and get right back to the facts because as I think a friend of yours has uh, said to you, the facts are your friend. Yeah. Or sometimes I say the facts are friendly. Right. Even if they're bad, the facts are friendly. Because if you're acting on bad information or facts that aren't the facts, you're going to make bad decisions. And the truth is we have greater access to information than ever before, right? Right. I mean, we've got probably better customer information, sales information, web traffic, financials. In a sense, we're drowning in data. But it's important to get to the facts, but it's important to get to the relevant facts and not be sidetracked by the irrelevant ones. Yeah. It's also really critical that we face the facts and then, honestly, that we rely on them uh, even when we don't like them. (laughs) You know, sometimes our own confirmation bias, you know, what we would like the facts to say or what we want to build a case uh, using facts to support. That's a dangerous thing for a leader. And so to the best of our ability, we need to try to strip ourselves of that confirmation bias and just listen to what the facts have to say on their own. Well, and directly related to that is our assumptions. Yes. You know, these are facts that may have been true at one time, but over time, they're not facts so much anymore. They're just right. kind of an opinion or a story that's built up. And I'll give you an example. 
Um, years ago, when I was the CEO at Thomas Nelson Publishers, there was this huge trade show that we used to go through or go to every year. And everyone, even everyone in my own company, assumed it was absolutely essential. But then we dug into the facts and we discovered, get this, 120 of our retail customers accounted for 90% of our revenue. Wow. Okay, that's like fact number one. Mm -hmm. Fact number two, we were spending a half a million dollars a year to attend a show to meet with hundreds and hundreds of retailers, including those same 120, but in a highly distracting environment where we had to share attention with all of our competitors. So this was highly inefficient, very expensive, and in the middle of the recession when we were trying to you know, cut the fat and trim it down to the essential. So we had to go back and look at our assumptions and reassess the facts. So we decided as a result of that to create our own event where we brought in those 120 customers at our expense for a two-day event with our best authors. It was like uh, 20% of the cost <laughs> and was, you know, a hundred times more effective because we didn't, we didn't have to do it in this distracting environment. So that's a case where looking at the facts led to a completely different conclusion. So on the one hand, we have to face the facts and be reliant on them. And on the other hand, we have to be aware of the limitations of data because it doesn't always tell us what we think it's telling us, right? Right. I mean, we've got to be aware of the limitations of data. Data is not everything. Uh, fact is a provable reality, like we're broke or we're out of cash or our audit revealed six violations. Data is a set of facts that suggests but doesn't prove a conclusion. Because, oh, that's a good distinction. Well, because you can you can arrange the facts to support the argument that you want. So you got to be aware of that as well. Mm -hmm. So you got to try to get to the facts, which is get the facts on the table before we start assembling these into a conclusion and then become guilty of the confirmation bias. Well, and it's kind of like when you're looking at a financial report or some other kind of statistics, those are going to be programmed with a certain set of assumptions that calculate the, quote, facts that you see spit out. And very often I've been in the situation where I freaked out about some data that seemed to suggest something really bad was happening, only to realize later that the programming was wrong and it was completely, you know, 180 from what I thought. Right. You know, that it looked like it was bad and it was good or vice versa, which is that's really no fun at all when you think you're fine and then you're not. Um, but I think it's always important with data to be a little suspicious and ask some questions about how do we get there and what's that calculated based off of and what are the underlying assumptions so that you can test that data before you start drawing conclusions. Something about numbers in black and white makes you think that it's a fact when it's just data. You know, I have a, a, a story that goes back again to my time at Thomas Nelson, but I remember Sam Moore used to say to us when we would come in with what we thought were the facts, he'd say, tell me the difference between what you know and what you think you know, hmm. and make sure that I know the difference and you know the difference. I'm happy to have your opinion, but I want that separated from the facts. Very often we get those really confused. We do. Yeah. So we have the accuracy of the data, which is an issue, but we also have to remember that all data, all statistics, those are a snapshot of the past. Mm -hmm. And the past is not 100% indicative of what could happen in the future. Right. You know, so for example, you could say in a meeting, well, we tried that before. Right. Well, how long ago was that? Well, that was five years ago. Well, a lot's changed in five years. Right. You know, maybe that same thing in this context would actually work. So there are limitations of looking data at data from the past. And again, you can also spin the data any way you want. 
So you need it, but you need to be honest about it. You need to be a little bit skeptical about it um, before you kind of put all your trust in it, I think is what we're saying. Hey, I hope you're enjoying our content. And I want to share with you a resource that I think you'll find particularly helpful. Can you believe that the year is halfway over? It is. If you want to recommit to those ambitious goals that you set at the beginning of the year, it's not too late. And I've got just the tool to help you do this. It's called the Full Focus Planner. For those of you listening who don't know anything about the planner, the Full Focus Planner is amazing. It's a physical planner to help you distill your big annual goals into daily actions. It's the missing piece in the goal achievement process. And we've got over 100,000 customers around the world who are enjoying greater productivity and greater success using this planner. Now, a single planner follows a 90-day quarter, helping you carefully craft each day to bring you closer to your big goals. And with our annual subscription, we deliver a planner to your doorstep at the beginning of every quarter, so you don't have to worry about breaking your progress or losing momentum. And with training videos, a high-achieving community, and an in-depth system and methodology, this planner is the best on the market. To claim your copy or to find out more, go to fullfocusplanner.com. So before you can move forward, you have to know where you are, which means the first element of a great decision is getting information. You have to face the facts. But what's the second? The second one, element number two, is counsel. Mm. You've got to get advice. I see leaders derail on this all the time. Right. Because they feel like either the job requires or maybe their own arrogance compels them to make the decision without the input of others. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, we all have limited perspective. We're only seeing it from our point of view, which includes our experience, our skill set, our education, all the rest. Other people, and when we solicit a wide uh, array of counselors, they're going to add to that image. They're going to give us more of a 3D view of the the situation. Mm -hmm. So you can't make a decision on the facts alone. So you also need outside counsel. One of the things that's true for leaders is that the higher up in an organization you get, the the greater risk you have of becoming disconnected with other parts of your organization. You know, your visibility into operations or marketing or customer experience or uh, whatever it is, is less and less because you're just not on the ground executing in the way that you may have been earlier in your career. And one of the ways that you can overcome that and overcome your own decision fatigue, which is real, and we should probably do a whole episode on that at some point, but is to request recommendations from people that you trust in the organization. So when you go to make a decision, asking people who are expert in their area of interest within the company to give you a recommendation of, if you were me, what decision do you think that I should make? That doesn't mean that it will always be the right decision that they suggest. Doesn't mean that they have the big picture, the full picture that you do when you're going to make a final decision, but it sure is a lot more informed by the realities on the ground in your organization than you could ever approximate in your own thinking. Um, And it it just really speeds up the decision-making process. It also helps you to get get alignment with your team as you're working Mm -hmm. toward a decision. As you were talking, I was just thinking about another situation in which you need to seek outside counsel. You know, early in my career, I thought, you know, I had this superpower of really being able to hire smart people, the right people. Right. And so I would often- You get like a few wins and you just, you think, man, I'm really good at this. So I would make the decision (laughs) unilaterally. Yeah. And I would do it without checking references. And then I went on a losing streak. You know, it's like (laughs) everybody I hired was the wrong person and they didn't last or they didn't work out or I regretted it. And so there's two places in the hiring process where we really need the benefit of outside counsel. First, 
absolutely always, always check references because there's no advice that will be more important to you than the advice of somebody who's had that experience with that potential candidate or that employee. Uh, Secondly, your own team. Right. You know, what happens to me as the CEO of our company, I get into a situation with a new employee, I start selling. Right. So I'm not- You should li- be the last person I they talk the to, person. not the first. Yeah. Because I'm I'm not listening and I'm not paying attention to the clues like I know I should, but people on my team will do that. Yeah. People on my team will ask tougher questions. They'll see things I won't see. And so our process at Michael Hyatt and Company is notoriously long. Right. And that's because we have so many people involved and because we seek outside counsel, right? And in this sense, outside counsel of our colleagues Mm -hmm. and the people around us. We also do outside counsel in the form of tests, personality tests, strength-based tests, the Colby, et cetera. It's a good example of getting data. But it's also an example of getting counsel because we want a 360-degree view of, of this situation before we make a decision on it. Another area for leaders to pull in outside counsel is with consultants. You know, very often, I yep. actually had this experience last week. I'm trying to develop kind of an overarching um, compensation and titling schematic for our organization that we'll, we can really grow into over the next five years. Well, this is not an area where I have particular expertise, nor do I really want to homeschool myself through a PhD in organizational theory to, to get there. As it turns out, though, I was able to meet someone who is a total expert at this, has been doing it for 30 plus years and can just kind of do it in his sleep. I can delegate the whole project to him and prove it at the end, make sure it's consistent with our culture. Um, But I could have wasted a lot of time and ultimately not made a good decision for the company because I just don't have the necessary expertise to make that good decision within my own self. So why do you think that uh, leaders are so reluctant to get that kind of outside help? They feel like they got to figure it out themselves before they make the decision. I think there's probably a fallacy in leadership that if you're a good leader, you can do all aspects of leadership. And that's just simply not true. I mean, the the truth is you're probably good at one or two or maybe three things, and you're probably not very good at all the other things. Um, I think there's also a reluctance to spend money on consultants. You know, it's like, well... I wouldn't want to spend, you know, $10,000 or several hundred dollars or whatever it is in your circumstance, you know, to to hire somebody to give input on this. I can just figure it out. I'll just get a book or then that becomes 10 books. I might be speaking from experience. And at a certain point, you know, you realize that this this is a huge project that you do not have time to come, become expert in, but you you trade your time for dollars. Well, the worst part is we forget that uh, if we make a bad mistake, there's nothing more oh expensive than a bad decision. Exactly. You know, if you hire the wrong person, incredibly expensive. Right. If you don't solve this problem and you're spending time trying to solve this very problem you're articulating with a compensation schematic, right? that's not really what we hired you to do. No. You know, and that's <laughs> not going to really move the business forward. It's important. Right. But it's much cheaper for our organization to pay a consultant yes. than to use your time to solve that uh, problem. You need input and we want you to make the decision but you don't have to be the person that has the expertise. Absolutely. All right, but we need to issue a warning here. There's a danger of paralysis by analysis. In fact, this can become a very sophisticated way of procrastinating where you get stuck in consultation mode. You know, you try to make decisions by consensus where you want to have everybody agree that you ask for a recommendation from, or you keep meeting with consultants for too long, or you just get stuck in this, you know, like data storm. And the truth is that you're never going to come to the end of that. At some point, you have to act and make a decision. No advisor can make the decision for you. Well, I'm in a situation like that right now uh, with another organization that I'm advising where the leader 
is stuck in this loop of he just needs a little bit more information. He right. won't make the decision. Here's the problem. If he's going to do that, he's going to miss the opportunity. No doubt. So a very specific situation, but because he's stuck in trying to get all the information because he's afraid to make a mistake, he's going to lose the opportunity, yeah. which is going to be a big mistake all of its own. Okay, so the first thing you need to do to make a good decision is to get solid information. You have to know the facts. The second element is to get advice. You need to get outside of your own head and outside your team's head to gain some perspective. So what's left, Dad? Yeah, element number three, intuition. Trust your gut. This is my favorite one, by the way. Well, and and it's an important component. I, I don't have any of these that are favorite. I sort of see all of them as equal. Mm-hmm. You know, the data's got to be there. Uh, the advice has got to be there and my gut's got to be there. And when all three of those line up, then I have the confidence to move forward on my decision. Yeah. But I'm going to give you an example where where I went against the data and the advice and it was one of the best decisions I ever made. So I wanted to hire an executive and he happened to take the Wonderlick test and he came out really low on that. That's so an that, IQ test. It's an IQ test. Yeah. And so it's, you know, if you know the limitations of that test, Measuring IQ is problematic anyway, and it's helpful. I mean, we use it ourselves, but it can't be the be-all, end-all because there are other strategies that people to use to win besides just raw intellect. Mm-hmm. So the the Wonderlick test came back uh, low. In addition to that, the industrial psychologist that was advising me that had evaluated the candidate said, I recommend that you pass. Mm. Well, in my gut, I thought, this is a guy that's got what it takes to succeed. He's got unbelievable tenacity, hmm. and he's completely focused on the mission. Uh, he had a record of goal achievement, and I just felt like this is the right guy. Mm-hmm. So I weighed all that. I listened to it. I didn't try to dismiss it. But I said to the psychologist, I said, you know what? I appreciate your advice. I see what the data says, but I'm going with my gut on this one. Huh. But fully willing to own the responsibility of that decision. If it didn't work out, it would rest on me. So that turned out to be one of the best decisions I ever made. Uh, That guy was enormously successful as we worked together, um, has had an outstanding career. And so it just goes to show you that the data and the advice aren't everything. They're a component. You've got to factor in your gut. Well, I really like this uh, too, because I think it gets at the final step in making the decision, was, which is you finally just have to make a call. And right. I'm reminded of a story from one of my favorite books in the last year, The CEO Next Door, which we included in our Leader Box mm-hmm. uh, program some months back. And there's a story in there about a leader who basically said, you know, once you're 60 to 70% sure, you need to go ahead and make the call. In other words, you're never going to achieve 100% certainty. The data and the outside input is never going to get you totally. all the way to 100% certainty. At some point, you're just going to have to look inward and ask yourself what feels like the right call and go ahead and make it. And I think the reason I like intuition so much is that it gives us permission as leaders to just make the call, that you don't have to wait for absolute certainty. You don't have to look at the data to give you that certainty or perfection that maybe you think you need to make a really good decision. You just have to be reasonably confident in your gut that this is the right thing after you've done some due diligence and move forward. That's all that's required. I agree with that. So yeah, one of the things that I've noticed is that the the lower you are in the organization, the more you tend to rely on the data and maybe the advice, but not so much on your gut because you don't have that much experience. Yeah. 
But as you move up in the organization, you realize the limitations of data and you realize the perspectives of your advisors and you realize that your gut is going to have to play a role because things are never going to be as clear at the top as they were when you were down in middle management, right? It's more gray at the top and it's going to require more gut instinct and you're just going to have to make the call. And there are no perfect decisions. Right. And sometimes the data is even contrary. Yes. But you got to make the call, Mm -hmm. right? So according to Ralph Larson, former CEO of Johnson & Johnson, Middle managers tend to trust their decisions because they are quantifiable, data-driven choices. As they rise higher, it's harder for them to deal with more complex and ambiguous problems. And again, that's where the three elements come in and why you need all of them. So today we've learned the three critical elements in every great decision, information, advice, and intuition. As we come in for landing, I just want to remind you that you can make great decisions. If you've been procrastinating on a hard choice, don't be afraid to get the facts. Talk to your advisors and then trust your gut. Dad, do you have any final thoughts for us today? Yeah, I do. I I would use this as a framework for every decision that you have to make, especially every significant decision. Tick these off. You know, do I have the right data? That's number one. Number two, have I sought the advice of, of people that are experts in this area or people that I trust? And then number three, what's my gut say? And if you can get all those in alignment, then move forward with confidence and make the call. As we close, I want to thank our sponsor, Leaderbox. It provides automated personal development in a box. Check it out at leaderbox.com. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, you can get the show notes and a full transcript online at lead2.win. Thanks again for joining us on Lead to Win. If you like the show, please tell your friends and colleagues about it. And also, please leave a review of the show at michaelhyatt.com slash review it. We've made it super simple for you to leave a review. This program is copyrighted by Michael Hyatt and Company, all rights reserved. Our producer is Nick Jaworski. Our writers are Joe Miller and Lawrence Wilson. Our recording engineer is Mike Burns. Our production assistants are Alicia Curry and Natalie Fockle. Our intern is Winston. We invite you to join us next week when we'll discover three questions that will transform your life and leadership. Until then, lead to win.